Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. What a great episode this one is to finish the year. Larry Dean. If you don't know Larry Dean, I think you're going to love this chat. I loved it. I laughed so much. It was late at night, early in Larry's morning. Uh, Larry has a thick accent. You'll, you'll get it. You'll settle into it. I was a little worried going into it. I was like, oh, Larry's in the UK. Larry's got a thick accent. Uh, you know, uh, like uh, maybe I won't be able to hear him properly. Maybe it'll be a shorter episode. As you can tell from the time there, it's not a short, shorter episode because Larry and I had an absolute ball uh, with this chat. I really loved it. Um, and I hope you're going to love it too. Very funny stand-up comedian, Larry Dean. So if you don't know Larry's work, uh, check it out and I uh, hope you really enjoy this episode. Uh, plugs, I'm going to do some. I have a brand new tour. It's called Will Legitimate. It is on sale now all over Australia and you can find the details of that tour. Comedy.com.au. This is going to be my biggest uh, tour that I have done in, well, I guess since at least since 2019. So my biggest tour I've done in five years minimum. And uh, hopefully it's going to continue to get bigger. It's already the biggest tour I think that I've done since 2019, just on the dates that we've announced. And uh, we are going to add more and more. So if you go to comedy.com.au to check out where I'll be touring in 2024 with my brand new show, Will Legitimate, it is going to be an absolute ball, so I would love you to come out and see you there. And also, of course, uh, my television show, Question Everything. I love this show, and it is available on ABC Ivy. You can check it out. Old episodes of the show, uh, we're just finishing off. Uh, by the time you hear this, we'll be finishing off the final episode of the series, uh, but we would love it to come back. And uh, obviously, the more chance uh, it has to come back, uh, the more people are watching it. Heaps of people are watching it, which is really fantastic. But if you could go to ABC iView and uh, check out some episodes, that always uh, helps us. The more people who watch it, the better. Spread the word if you like it. Uh, There are a whole bunch of clips on social media as well. If you are listening to this overseas and you would just like to check out some snippets from Question Everything, then uh, some of it is geo-blocked if you want to look at ABC iView. But you can watch clips on uh, my social media and our guest social media and uh, check out bits of the show as well. I have a book. It's called uh, I Am Not Fine, Thanks. It's been out a year now. That's a bestseller, as they say, but uh, there are still copies available. (laughs) There's always still copies available. So if you're looking for a gift uh, for Christmas, I Am Not Fine, Thanks is the name of my book and they are my plugs. Uh, Check out Larry Dean, uh, find Larry stuff uh, online and support that. A very funny comedian, and I'd just like to say a massive thank you, uh, particularly uh, to Mike, uh, the producer of this podcast, uh, the main reason that there have been weekly episodes of Velocity this year is uh, all because of Mike booking the guests, arranging the guests, and really just keeping on top of me being ahead uh, of the guests so I don't lose interest and and forget to do the podcast. So it's officially back. Uh, we've been weekly now for nine or ten months and uh, we've got a whole bunch of episodes banked into the new year. So I am really looking forward actually to next year talking to comedians from all over the world uh, on this podcast, philosophy. So thank you for your support. If you like it, please tell your friends about it. And uh, I will see you, i talk to you in the new year. Enjoy Larry Dean.
Uh, hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how my show starts. I ask uh, the guest who they are. So who are you? Hey, I'm Larry Dean. Hello, Larry Dean. How are you? That's so weird. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It's like, a, I like to, it's, it's, it's always very instructive about how people respond to that. You know, like how much detail people feel compelled to provide when somebody asks them who they who they are. And you were quite simple and to the fact and just went with name only, no further details. You have to pry those out of it. I know my well, to be honest, I was I even felt embarrassed saying my surname. Like what, what is that what does that say about myself or <laughs> So, Larry Dean, you're a comedian. I'm going to fill in some of this for you on your behalf <laughs> at the start of this. Thank the, you. The scene. Uh, you're a, like a very, very talented comedian. I think – I don't know you very well at all, really, like, you know, other than know of you. We've been around the same spaces during festivals and stuff. But, uh, you know, I – your comedy I'm such a huge fan of. Like, I, I love – your eye for construction, you know, for narrative, for story, your capacity to be able to weave jokes back together in a way that doesn't feel like a bung-dong callback but actually feels like it's integral to the the storytelling of how you've constructed the set. Uh, like you're incredibly talented, like, you know, with voices and the way that you use both language but also the way that people speak um that's a little there you go i've set the table for you 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 can't say that stuff to yourself but no thank you very much mate. i really appreciate that (laughs) i also assume that there's like 50 percent of my audience who cannot understand a word you're saying so i'm just filling in some of it for them as well Um, well thank you very much you're very nice to me Where did the love of comedy come from? Can we start with that? Tell me about why you became a comedian and uh, like, because you're clearly, you don't have the stage presence and the stagecraft of somebody who just one day stumbled backwards into comedy, but maybe that is your story. I'd love to hear it. How did you get into comedy? Um, To be honest, I I think it was basically, I always loved being the class clown and make, and I used to kind of go home and, after school, I was that weirdo that went home and practiced faces in the mirror and stuff. Um, and uh, then when I was like, uh, I, I always thought I'd be too nervous to do stand up because, and I had no, like, um, I, like I think I was the same as you know how every single audience member that talks to us about it is like, oh my god, I can never do it. You know, almost if they don't laugh, I had that and no kind of arrogance of oh, I'm definitely going to be able to do this kind of thing. And then when I um, when I didn't get into drama school, <laughs> I, I ended up doing like a, a course in Southampton, uh, which is like the other end of the UK. Uh, and the course had comedy in it and they made you, you had to stand on stage and do it. And it was like a five minute thing. And it was in front of other classmates, but then doing that one five minute thing again i got like probably one laugh to be fair one actual funny joke i think all comedians have one funny joke when they first start (laughs) and it's such an addictive feeling getting that instant Uh gratification and i forgot how that felt until i did like uh, acting and then when i did acting i was like oh you don't get an instant 
that was good. Like if you do if you do a whole scene, you afterwards I was so insecure that I was asking the director, was that okay? Are you sure that was okay? Because it's like on stage, like doing stand up is the only time you could go like one word will make the audience make you give an instant feedback, and that's kind of how I got into it. it was just the thing of got forced into it from university, and then absolutely loved it. I always wanted to be a comedian, but I never had the confidence to do it. And then actually going on stage and doing, it, you go, oh, actually, it's not as it's not as hard as uh, as you think it's going to be because you think it's impossible before you do it. I, I just before we move on from the the acting and acting gratification, I had a real life example of that when I watched I went to say you know they did a play about what happens after Harry Potter it's like oh, it's yeah, quite a, yeah, yeah. you know they transformed a whole theater in Melbourne did a huge 5 year run of this like massive play I'd I'd never actually like I'm not a big Harry Potter person like a bit too old for to have missed you know that being part of my life and my lifestyle but people told me this show was amazing so I went to see it and the night I went the audience were the greatest and so Every comedic moment in this Harry Potter show, the cast are getting huge laughs. Oh, hang on. My dog's just going to bark if I don't put her on the couch. So hang on. No worries, buddy. (laughs) So they do this huge Harry Potter play. The, night, the first night I go, it's in like, it, it's two hours in two parts. So you, what, two hours, then you can either go and have like dinner and then come back and see the next two hours or you can see the actual other bit on a different night. That's how some people, so it was like this big production, right? Aye. Incredible. And there's comedic moments in it. And so you've got these actors who are, are not comedians, you know, they're playing comedy within this like broader play. And on the first night I went, Man, they were – I've always said that the easiest laughs I've ever seen in my life are professional tennis players. When a professional tennis player does anything on centre court, like the audience there reacts like they've just literally seen George Carlin rise from the grave. Like literally just run into the crowd, grab someone's champagne, take a sip. You are – okay, it's Groucho Marx is here. What a great day that we've all got to see, right? But this first night, it was similar to that. And – I was watching it going, oh, that's interesting. Like they're getting these huge laughs that are stand up with light, but they're not allowed to react to it. And I was like, oh, that must be a little bit unsatisfying that you can't ride the energy of you and, you know, play with the laughs that you're getting. I went and saw it again. Worst crowd ever. And then I realized it was even worse that they couldn't do anything about They couldn't change it up. Like, you can't change up Harry Potter. You can't go, they're not liking this stuff. <laughs> Let's just, like, bring <laughs> yeah. it. I reckon I can get them with some Voldemort gear. Like, it doesn't <laughs> work like that. The same time, I have no empathy for actors doing jokes because I'm just like, no, no, you don't. Like you don't have to come up with it yourself. <laughs> like, I always think when because some of the easiest laughs I've seen have been in plays, and I've seen the the audience laugh their head off, and I'm like, there's I think it's such a stand up thing in me that I'm screaming on the inside going, but they didn't write that joke, mm. so it's, it's not their joke, and they say the same joke every single night. So I think that's that's probably why, like on TikTok and like Instagram, like the the videos of uh, comedians doing banter always do way better 
than pre-prepared material because I think now people know that we do have pre-prepared material. I remember when I, I was growing up, I used to think standards came up with stuff off the top of their head. I was like, wow. Um, but the actors doing it, I'm like, I think it's so annoying when it, there's obviously amazing comic actors, but when you see it, some prick who's just come out of drama school who's, who's, who's not in any debt because their parents paid for everything and they're saying a line that some comedian who's still driving all over the country uh, has probably wrote for them never have any empathy for them <laughs> so you you don't you 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 miss that path you don't go to acting school you don't go to drama school you instead go into the arse end of you know show business stand-up comedy so how does that start like what, where's oh. your first gig? What's your first show? Where is this, like, one good joke that you have? Where does this all happen? Paint the picture. Dude, you know, it's funny. I actually had a conversation with a comic about this, and he said, if you had to do it all again, yeah. would you? And I said, no, no chance. Mm. And every comedian I know, no matter how successful, mm. is like, no, I couldn't do it <laughs> like, all over again. Um, the first ever proper gig, probably, because it was almost like a uni society kind of comedy society thing which makes which makes me hate myself um but they, uh, we all kind of ran gigs um in southampton and stuff and i did one of their gigs which went okay but it was filled with audience of like people that i knew so they weren't an actual audience but the first actual audience was a gig in portsmouth and oh man that was bad it was like a a back room of a pub and all the audience were like I think over 50 um, and yeah just it was the 10 minutes of complete silence and it was because when I first started I was quite an offensive comic I, I want and and I think it probably was because I was only like 20 or mm. 19 or whatever it was and usually when you're younger that tends to be the stuff you find funny and also, I thought, oh, I'm going to change the world with my comedy. I thought I was George Carlin. <laughs> but then, um, but yeah, it was really bad. And luckily, though, even the, the guy who ran it did actually give me, like, uh, he gave me, like, emails for other gigs and stuff. And to be honest, it was weird, as I probably would never have, you know, kept going if it wasn't for him just giving me emails for other gigs. Because you have a lot of um, people who do stand up like four times a year and they'll think, oh, I'm a comedian. Like they'll change their, their job title on Facebook, uh, which annoys every other comedian. <laughs> and I probably would have ended up being one of them, but I began to realise I had to gig like three or four nights a week um, after that, especially after being in a car with other comics really made me kind of go, oh, actually, I need to really work hard at this. And also it's, it's handy as well because you just, it, usually if you're in a car of comedians or travelling together, there's always one of you that's been doing it longer than the rest and you learn things off them. And not even just to do with gigs, but the amount of times I've learned things from the professional comedian on the bill and saying, what would you have done differently? Or what did I go wrong there? And you always have to, because we're such fucking, we're, <laughs> we're such people pleasers. And every comedian, you always have to say the thing of, I actually just want genuine, honest feedback. You'd be brutal because because comedians would be like, yeah, yeah, that's great because they don't want to have an awkward conversation because well, yeah. I've just had an awkward 25 minutes on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in that though because like some people 
and I understand that why people wouldn't want to offer like full and frank feedback because I think there's part of you that thinks, would I be able to handle full and frank feedback? You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. would I like, I mean, it's, it's good. So how do you respond to feedback? Are you someone who is actually open to the idea of no, tell me I'd, I'd prefer to hear it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think no one who's good at, like anything can just go without getting horrible feedback at points. Mm. Although it's that thing of, um, oh, what's the quote? The quote of never take advice of someone, never yeah. take criticism of someone you never take advice from. Mm. And that, uh, so the amount of times I've had feedback from people that I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm sure you'd think that. What's coming out of my face is a lot more smiley and nice. Um, but yeah, I, I usually take it well. Although funny, I actually got feedback the other day um, on something I'm not used to getting feedback on because I don't usually do it. And um, basically, uh, so usually when it comes to acting stuff or stand-up, I'm like, cool, let me know. And no matter how brutal you are, it's fine because I'll be able to find some sense in it and some proper feedback in it. And also, I'm like, oh, you, this is nothing compared to YouTube comments or fucking, or, or like a horrible review I got. But then weirdly, I had a singing lesson the other week and I don't sing, right? And it was kind of just, long story short, it was just like a dare thing. And um, the singing teacher gave me feedback and then my partner gave me feedback as well. And I felt that feeling of like, you know, when you do get criticised uh, like, and you kind of cave in on yourself and your shoulders kind of go high and you feel like a bit like self-conscious. And I thought, why am I feeling that about this? Like, this is something I've got absolutely no pride in at all. Like, I don't care. And then I had to kind of go, no, actually... The only way I'll ever learn about something is if I get negative feedback on it. It's I usually try and think back as well to like Arnie videos, you know, like yeah. the <laughs> inspirational Arnie videos, and like when someone says you can't do something, if you think, "Oh, I'm so excited to prove you wrong," rather than crumbling in on yourself. So generally, when I when I was getting getting singing advice from my partner I was thinking of Arlo Schwarzenegger's head, like voice <laughs> in my head you can do it <laughs> yeah I, I've worked with people who have had the real theory that all feedback is a gift and you know it just is about how you receive the gift I'm not I, there's something about so I did this I'll, it's a side story to this not exactly but I think you'll understand it which is I was asked to be involved in a um like, do you know what theatre sports is? It's like an improv, it's improvised games. Like, it's like an early version of like, whose line is it anyway? Or those okay. sort of things that mostly is for high school kids to learn about imp- improvisation. But they do this big charity event where they get a bunch of celebrities and a bunch of improvisers and they get them to, you know, play against each other in this big charity event. You know, they have it at the Enmore Theatre. It's kind of like a... But it's, and it's raising money for kids with cancer and it's like a family-friendly show. It's a whole thing. And I, they asked me to do it and I said, you know what, I'll do it. I'm, you know what, get, get out of my comfort zone, do something good for other people. Like, I'm fine with that. And I was fine with the fact that when there was like an audience full of people in that theatre, like I sang on stage, I did things that I would absolutely never do in my regular life. But there was a bit before the show where they – where everyone had to play warm-up games together. 
Like, oh, you, you, and you know, you'd have to go in and do your bit, and then like the next person would come in and do their bit, and I couldn't. I felt sick. I like literally thought I was going to have diarrhea on stage having to do this warm up game with everyone, and I have done every shitty and good gig in the world like you know what i mean like yeah, everywhere yeah. but i could not do this warm-up game with these other people it just for some just leaning up they're all doing it you're leaning up against the wall for cigarettes saying uh-huh. get my agent on the phone <laughs> i didn't agree to this bit <laughs> call me when the show starts <laughs> so you're so you're in these cars you're soaking up some knowledge and a lot of comedy is like you know it's a lot of ancient cultures, you know, their history gets lost because nobody writes it down. And often in comedy, that is also the way you learn about comedy. They like, <laughs> come do it. It's such a weird way to like teach someone a job. The first thing you're going to do on day one is do the job. We're going to get yeah. you to do that. <laughs> like, it's like It's like being a pilot. They're like, well, day one – Short flight, just a short flight. But, you know. but I don't know how we, I don't know how we work around this. Well, like should we have an apprenticeship in which, like, you go on with an experienced stand-up, and he goes yeah. right. I'm going to let him do five minutes yeah. of jokes, and then I think like a double hander where you've just got a more experienced comic there, like a learner driver. You know, you've got the other person there who can take over in case of like emergency if you forget they're like they've got their own set of brakes if you're in trouble they can just help you out a little from the side of the stage right okay you know what this this is a charity show i want you to do well you you take a brand new comedian as soon as you think they're struggling you run on stage put the heckler down run back off yeah, I'm not running on or off. I'm sitting on stage. They can light me when appropriate. <laughs> Maybe what, like have a different spotlight and the spotlight goes off you. <laughs> like, I like to think of, you know, like one of those movies where there's a reveal that someone's been sitting in the corner in the dark the whole time when they just flick on the light and you suddenly see them. I like to think it's a bit like that. I mean, the darkness at the back until needed. <laughs> Maybe they have a button. Like, I'm not going to insert myself in the show. They can turn on the light. They can control the light. So it's like a panic button. If they feel like they need an assist, I'm just there if you need. (laughs) (laughs) Just... You know, there's there's like a tradition, well, I don't even know if this is a true thing, but like Hollywood movies would have me know that um, sometimes like parents might arrange for a professional sex worker to help their awkward teen like to lose their virginity, right? I don't know if that's a thing that really really actually happens, but I feel like this is my version of that. You know, like, I'm I'm here to help you through this. I'm like a doula or something for your first comedy experience. This is, that. honest to God, man, I genuinely think this is a a brilliant idea. I'd love to see that. It'd be so funny. Because even if if you did it at the comedy festival, and by the end of the festival, if they're starting to get good at stand-up, it'd be still funny just at certain points just to see your head pop up out of the, the darkness because I'm, well, the way I've got a picture is you're sat at the side of the, I sat on the stage, but there's no light on you. No, <laughs> none. No, yeah, just, yeah. Until, and, just... <laughs> and then I'm ready to go at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Okay, so, well, you didn't have that. You had you threw yourself oh, into... the problem is as well, imagine this comedian ends up doing well, but they rely on yeah. you forever, and then at the Melbourne Comedy Gala, it has to be yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, that's... I mean, I'm happy to take the stage big. You know what I mean? Like, as long as I can sit in the darkness at all times, like... I start playing stadiums. I just travel the world. I, ben Harper, do you know who the musician Ben Harper is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had one song, one popular song that had a guy doing human beatbox in it, right? right? And he would tour the world and this human beatbox guy would come out for this like one song. Like and that's it. He would just play a human beatbox in that song and he would tour the world with him just as like for this song. Like I could be that for this person eventually. Oh, like just man. there if you need. I was be a good so show the- if you just sat, like, I mean, for the whole show, I just sat in the darkness. Didn't need me. Good one tonight. <laughs> Didn't have to turn on the light. <laughs> you can't just in the darkness for an hour. <laughs> um, okay, so what I the, before this ridiculous riff, what I the reason that it started was you said something that I really responded to, but I wanted to explore a little bit more, which was if you knew how hard it was going to be that you might not have started in the first place, and I find that a very interesting thought because part of it is this, that, that, I mean, it's the cockiness and bravado of youth. That's why it's actually necessary. Like, you know, when you come on the scene and you think you are going to be the next George Carlin or you are going to revolutionize comedy, that's like, you need to be a little bit deluded about your own capabilities and capacities, because if you're realistic about how long and hard it was going to be and how emotionally complex this journey was going to be that, yeah, maybe that you wouldn't do it. But do you, is that a throwaway line or do you really think that if you knew how hard it was going to be, you wouldn't have started out on it? Um, I've done, I've done it very different, uh, but obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But I think the problem I had was I almost have like rules that I have to stick by. So as soon as a rule come, that kind of comes in, then I'll, um, I'll kind of follow it 110% if, I th- if I'm if i convinced it's true. I've been told by enough people, like, it's such a weird thing I'm saying. I, I look at that person, but I think Bill Clinton, I remember reading a thing about Bill Clinton that everything was a committee vote. So he'd always have this committee of people that he would get advice off of. And I, I usually have a, for myself, for stand-up stuff, like, if, I don't think most stand-ups have it to an extent. You'll phone a mate and check if this is funny and all that before you go on stage and try it. But I heard from enough stand-ups that you have to do this at minimum four to five times a week in order to get good. And it meant that rather than bear in mind logistical difficulties, <laughs> I would be like, no, I have to do it four or five times a week. It was like the rule. So it meant that I would spend so much of my 20s in a car and I know, like, I'm saying this to an Australian who usually when British comics say to Australians, oh, I had to spend ages travelling to a gig, they're like, eh, what? I had to go, I had to drive from Melbourne to, to Adelaide or something like that, eh, you know, commute. But I found, especially doing that in my 20s, made it a bit like, I don't know, it feels like a lot of comics have their life sorted and a bit, and then they go into comedy. So, like, some, most comics have, in the UK, I think probably the most common job would be carer or like 
a teacher or something along those lines and then they do stand up and then they get really good at standing again to it from there and then they can give up the day job but it means they've always got something to go back to I had nothing apart from the stand up so it meant that well I was spending all this time trying to make sure I got all these gigs and stuff and I mean I had nothing to you know have a also I don't know if it works as a soccer analogy but it's like it makes you better as a football team attacking if you've got a good defence because the attackers are not, th- not thinking, oh, what happens if we concede a goal? And it's the same with stand-ups. A lot of the stand-ups that I noticed that do the best at the beat, uh, when they're starting out are the ones that have already got uh, their life sorted to an extent. Obviously, no, you know, nobody in their actual sorted mind goes on stage. But I think if I even left doing stand-up for a few years, got some kind of back catalogue of life experience even more rather than sitting in a car because I was thinking why can I not come up with any new material in my mid-twenties I was like oh because all my mates are out drinking having a fun time and I'm stuck in a car all the time so that's what I'd do differently I'd leave it a bit longer before I started doing it and also it would have been handy if I left it a bit longer because some comics that I started with were never never left the city they were from or hardly ever because they had responsibilities and I used to think oh well I need to because I don't have responsibilities I'll keep driving around and those comics that didn't leave their city have ended up going on to great things because of the power of social media and the internet and stuff and I was like oh I didn't have to go from this place to this place to this place to this place I could have actually just stayed in Glasgow and or London or whatever and got better there and then put it online but hindsight 2020 and all that well and it's all different paths and you don't know which bits of it shape you right like you don't know how how it would have changed you as a comedian doing that but i do agree with what you're saying about i always think about that idea of it being a bucket right and like you empty out your life is like your bucket of your experiences and often what you're talking about those people who first start out they've got like a big full bucket of things to talk about. They've had a job or a relationship or like, you know, maybe bought a house or whatever it might be. They've got like so many things in the bucket. And if you're just driving around to gigs, all you've got in the bucket is like, you know, comedy stories, like bad gig stories, like, yeah, you know, yeah. hotel you stayed in stories. Like you don't have a real life. You're not filling up your bucket, right? And we empty these buckets out when we do a new show and then you have to take some time to – fill up your bucket again and it's a hard thing to do because you're like what am I meant to be filling this bucket with right like, yeah, yeah, well, you're yeah. trying to do these crazy experiences and you're like no <laughs> um, tell me about your most recent show because I was listening to it um, it's called let me no I haven't got my phone in front of me no, it's, um, uh, it's weird because it's so difficult even most mm. even my agent can't keep up with what show yeah. it is because I had a show that's gone out as a special called Fan Fandan. Yeah, and but then, that wasn't is that that wasn't your most recent show though, right? No, the, the most yeah. recent one is called Fud Nut. Yeah, and that's which right. Which is already getting mixed up by everyone. So I've recorded it and I'm changing the title of it because <laughs> of the chaos that this is. What's it called? Because people, I put it, like brand new tour dates on, and people going already seen it, mate. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> no. like somebody, somebody's got access to my bucket. And, <laughs> um, so I've recorded that one and now 
Um, that'll be out probably in November, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I'm working on my new one, which I've just started, um, which which has been fun. But yeah, but uh, I'm going to change. Uh, this is working titles. So you never know. By the time this comes out, I might have changed my mind. Mm-hmm. The, the last show I did at Melbourne was Fudnut, which I'm now changing to It Happens, which is uh, uh, just for the quote from Forrest Gump. Um Cause what what is art without stealing other art? And, <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, I actually I, I it was one of the, weirdly a show I actually really like doing. I don't usually like doing shows. <laughs> what, okay, no, but what? I think for somebody who what does shows, I said, I said, I what don't do you like mean? Doing shows. What well, do you I, what do you mean by that? Tell me everything about what you just said. Well, every comic I, mm. I that goes on to do touring or mm. festivals and stuff. They all say, oh, it's great because you get your own audience in and they just love it. And I hate it because I don't like having my audience at the same time as I love having my audience. But if when people come and see me, I feel much more pressure. If it's people who don't, like, don't even like me, I kind of go, well, they don't even like me. Who cares? Like, so if I did a gig to a bunch of builders, I'd be like, I don't care. Like, they, they can't stand me. Uh, but if I do a gig to my audience, I'm like, oh, no, they like me. The only way is down from here. <laughs> so oh, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, but don't lose them. So I, I get really stressed out about tours and, like, festivals and stuff because I know that people who already like me will see me and I'm, I'm worried that they're not going to like me by the end of the show. Okay, two questions. Have you said that to a professional and what did they say in response? <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, oh boy. Okay. Uh, man, where does that come from? Is that like a, just a Scottish thing or is that a Larry thing? Like, what is this version? Insecure person. Thing. I mean, I that is something, though. Like, the fact that you'd prefer to play to people that you assume have already rejected you because therefore there's nothing to lose rather than people who have gone out of their way to come and support you and enjoy what you do. That that oh, You oh, make it man. sound kinky, Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's why, right? Is it a kink? Is this getting you off? Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I know you hate me now, but I'll get you. That's the only <laughs> thing that you enjoy. You're like, I've already got you. I'm bored of you now. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> what would help my stand-up, Jane? What would probably yeah. help, would honestly help my, my, my insecurity is if when I'm doing a tour gig, if I just knew there was another comic there, maybe sat in the darkness, mm. just ready yep. in case yeah. it in case it stopped working, just oh. to run, run out and be like, hey, don't worry, I've got this, Larry. On you go. Again, for the record, no running. There was one thing I made very <laughs> clear about this. <laughs> like you know, Taylor Swift, they have to take it a stage. Like in a box, do you know this? Like so, because like she has this big stage show and she can't just walk out apparently because you're Taylor Swift. So instead, they like put her in a big like box and they wheel her out and hide her wherever they need to hide her. Which to me, just like walk out. It's okay. Yeah, we yeah. can all just like the show. You know, put some fire. You know, some put some fireworks going off or something, and you can walk out. We'll all be very impressed. You don't need to get in your box to be wheeled <laughs> out. But I think actually that I would prefer to be wheeled out. So I'm on some sort of comfortable chair because I've got to sit there, like you know, for like an entire hour, right? So I'm on a comfortable chair, 
I want my own microphone and maybe something to drink, like a warm beverage, I think, like not like a performance drink, but like a cup of tea or something. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, we will go through this and sort it all out in the warm-up, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It will all be sorted. (laughs) What uh, first... Uh, brought you to Australia to do shows? Was that just searching for another audience who hadn't heard of you <laughs> and probably wouldn't me. like you? So you're like, <laughs> so better, better see if the same's overseas. <laughs> Find some more people that don't like me that I can try to win over. Exactly. I'm, like, I'm probably the only, yeah. I'm the only gay comedian that'd be like, oh God, I can't wait for my tour of Iran. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to hate me so much. Um, what brought me to Australia? Oh, it was 20, 2014, um, Adelaide and Perth. Because uh, I, I, I won that, it was like a competition called like, Scottish Comedian of the Year. Uh-huh. And part of the prize was I was supposed to go out and do uh, do gigs over in Australia. Uh, it's funny, man. It's, it's so weird of like the image I had of Australia was so stereotypical like it's it, and, I, and I, I know Aussies tend to find it funny but I, I know as a Scottish person people's image when they've not been to Scotland sometimes is that we're all just wearing kilts and shortbread I had that for Australia I was like I assumed everyone had the hat with the wee corks and stuff like that and like everybody was was like um, <laughs> everyone was proper bogany basically. That's kind of what I thought as well. I thought there was all like oh, uh, I, I thought also you know uh, Muriel's wedding. I thought it was everyone's <laughs> going to be like the family from Muriel's wedding. Um, and I found out that only about seventy five percent of you are like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not it's not it's not entirely inaccurate. But you know what? When I've been in Scotland, there's been a fair few kilts and shortbread as well. Like some of the stereotypes yeah, yeah, yeah. are true. Like, what I love, by the way, is the students are so so defensive yeah. about it. At the same time, as take the piss of it so much. So I used to always say about how Adelaide was shit, right? And then. Uh, Aussies would laugh enough until you get to a point and then Aussies don't want you to be mean yeah. at all you get so protective like listen mate might be yeah. fucking shit for South Scotland you know it's, it's so like <laughs> you were saying it was shit five minutes ago yeah. so this is one thing I've always found as a foreign act in Australia is actually like not knowing how much I'm able to take the piss before Australia's going no no they've gone too far there mate um, but yeah uh, well, you'd be fami- w- you'd be familiar with that like concept of the like tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of this? Like when you've been in Australia. So in Australia, we like people from Australia being successful to a point. But once you get too successful, then like a tall poppy, you have to lop the head off them, right? And then there's a point you can get to again where it's like the the rake bit from The Simpsons. It gets funnier again after a while. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you, yeah, we, yeah. we love a comeback. We love to write someone off. We like, but it's all about I believe how we don't understand class in Australia and we're constantly wrestling with that idea of we didn't inherit Britain's class system, but there's still, of course, a class system in Australia. We just don't speak about it. And so we constantly reframe it through this, like, power prism. So it's fine when you're, like, a new person coming out all naive. You know, look at you. You've got no power here. You're adorable with this Scottish accent and, you know, like, good comedy. Like, we like you and you can say Adelaide shit. 
you know what, you've been here a bit and you've taken a fair bit of our money at this point. Knock off on the fucking Adelaide <laughs> stuff, mate. It's quite a good place and you keep coming back, so, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a... That is a what's it called? That's such an accurate way of summing up summing up the Australians. Because I might, I think because the, the the one that I know, not I don't know talk poppy syndrome, but even there's a thing as well of like when I hear Australians talk about famous people from Australia, it's so odd of like they they'll, they'll be mean and then the, but then next time you see them they'll be nice about them. Um, and then if they die, then they love them again. Yeah. Because it's a bit like, yeah, because, you know what I mean? And it's just so yeah. like, it's like, what a fucking, what a miserable thing it is to be a celebrity yeah. on a show. You have to wait to die to be like, cool, now they like yeah. me. Um, but then the, I also, I got told, <laughs> weirdly, God, mate, I got weirdly told this by my chiropractor. Uh-huh. Uh, it was uh, because, uh, crabs in a bucket is the one that I always think of. Is that thing of if you put crabs in a bucket, the crabs will all try and climb out, but as soon as a crab is about to climb out of the bucket, another one will pull them back in to the bucket. <laughs> I think tall poppy syndrome yeah. sounds a lot more nice, but uh, yeah. it, it says a lot. It says a lot more philosophical than crabs in a bucket. Um, I don't know, but I reckon sometimes I think crabs in a bucket is an easier one to understand. Like, I, I don't think poppies are such a common thing that like i mean people still know what crabs are and buckets are it feels more relevant and modern than somebody bringing up poppies right like you're like what's you know don't you think like is Um, poppy common like no it's no i don't know if you you have the thing of poppies uh the association in the uk uh modern association for me and other comics is Mm. if you see a poppy it is going to be a mean social media comment oh (laughs) Yeah, is it like a, what does the poppy stand for in that context? So the poppies like uh, is like the memorial uh, oh, like symbol for like war stuff. War. Yeah, okay, and yeah. their war stuff. Jesus, uh, mm. war, and then. Uh, but the thing is, people that like tend to be like very high on um, army stuff and like British army things tend to hate stand-ups after the 1980s. So it tends to be as soon as I see one of those... Um, but also, they, they tend to be able to be criticised you because chances are they've been in the army and if you don't accept their criticism, you can get a smack in the face. So those are the people that usually, as soon as I see a pop, I go, oh, this isn't going to be a, a nice comment. I, I mean, and I get it too, because they have spent their time fighting literally for your right to say whatever it is you want, right? Like the fact that you can annoy them is actually the highest compliment to them. They won, right? They fought for the freedom (laughs) for someone like you or I to go out there and say things that they don't agree with. So the fact that they are angry at you for that, it actually, they should spin that around, turn that frown upside down. Like it's the highest compliment that something you loathe. You fought for this. Actually, to be honest, if you don't like it, you shouldn't have fought so hard. (laughs) <laughs> should have let the other side get a few in you know what I mean like maybe well, the Taliban has some good ideas I guess it's, oh it's made me feel so much better about receiving them as well now well I will sing God save the king whenever yeah. I see it's like, yeah, just try to argue that online when you get one you just go look actually if you think about it this way <laughs> <laughs> You come to Australia the first time, but you keep coming back. So I really want to 
explore this idea of what was the like why why the connection with Australia because like as your career grows in the like in the UK and across like you know that part of the world you probably have more and more opportunities to do shows over there and things you know why why Australia why why the connection with Australia eh uh, eh uh, I should not pause at this but uh, no 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 <laughs> Just the, um, based on everything we just talked about, answer-wise, no, I'm, I, I'm literally, uh, is it just convenience? Is it just fun? Is it, like, ha, ha, how are the audiences? Like, I mean, what is the reason that you like to come back? There's there's a multitude of reasons, mm. uh, but probably each, I find each city has a reason. Yeah. So, like, okay. Perth, uh, fest, uh, the Perth Fringe Festival is my favourite because it's in January to February, mm-hmm. and that's when it's the coldest in the UK, so that's originally why I went. But now I began to love Perth more and more. Perth's become so cool. And like the since I started going 10 years ago, actually, it was the first time I was in Perth. And uh, it's got more and more cool. And also, it's almost like, if, whenever people are moving to Australia, I always say go Perth first, because it's such a 50-50 city, because it is half UK, half, uh, half Australian. And it's kind of like when it comes to like pubs and stuff. So it's almost like there's your kind of uh, your vestibule kind of area for, for you to go to Australia proper. Um, so I usually go back to Perth and Sydney is, yeah, it's brilliant. It's, like, I always think Sydney is like London if it was built on a zoo. Um, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. And just the, having the beach and stuff is brilliant. And the audiences in Sydney are so, so up for, up for comedy. I, uh, Sunday to Thursday though so peculiar because New South Wales is so on Sydney and I remember mm-hmm. whenever I've done gigs in Sydney if it's a Friday or Saturday that's when all the out of towners come in and stare at you being like Scotland's changed since I was there and, <laughs> and, and and Sunday to Thursday is like the new town like hipster uh, everyone's yeah. good at making coffee um, and they're always up for a laugh and uh, Melbourne Melbourne's one I get most associated with, probably because of the comedy festival stuff. But I don't know. I think Melbourne audience is so hard. Last year I found them so hard, and uh, I was like, "Why is this like?" Because Melbourne's such a pat yourself in the back city, because everybody's always trying to do the the social justice thing. So they're terrified of laughing sometimes about stuff that could be offensive. But it's a bit like, you kind of want to go, do you honestly think I would go on stage and say bad stuff? I'm a comedian. I'm not one of your politicians. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such an odd thing because I find that sometimes, I weirdly found this thing. And I was chatting to like uh, a black comedian from the UK about it, about their experience from Melbourne Right, and then, and before I say this, I love Melbourne, right? I just find that it's a hard audience to crack because uh, sometimes it can be really, uh, what's it called, too righteous. But there's a weird thing of if I wasn't talking about being gay and he was saying the same thing, he's like, why, well, hey, when I'm not talking about being black, they get uncomfortable because it's almost like they, they're there being like, but we want you to talk about the gay thing so I can laugh and, and know that I'm not homophobic. And I'm a bit like, yeah, but. I didn't, I didn't think you were. You know what I mean? It's such a kind of odd atmosphere of like, that gay joke works so well over here and it doesn't even work in the UK and it's audience is going, ha ha, ha ha, look, I'm fine with it. 
<laughs> but I've been told by Melbourne friends that it's an insecure city. A lot of people are insecure there. I look. I I I don't know is the answer because I. You know, I've been doing that festival for so long that talk about your own audience. Like, I don't know what the rest of them are like. You know, I know what my audience is like. But, like, I've been doing the festival for 28 years or something. Like, so I don't get that cross-section. But I went and saw Jordan Gray. Is that him? That's right, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Jordan Gray show um, uh, during the comedy festival. And I would say to you that that is exactly the way the crowd the night that I was in that show, I was like, there were so many bits of it that like I was laughing at more than everyone else because not because I found them funnier, but because they suddenly were like, oh, hang on, am I allowed to? It kind yeah. of was, and I did, I noticed it. I was like, no, 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 we want to, like we're here to almost like celebrate you rather than like, tr like it is a, it, it's weird because, you know, there's an argument to be made that the greatest way you can accept somebody is to treat them no differently to anybody else. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, yeah, that's, that's one way of looking at things, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, just treat me the same as everybody else and that is how you, like, you know, are accepting of me. You, Whatever my thing is is not a big deal because it doesn't have to be – it can be, it doesn't have to be, it's not what I've come for, right? Like, that's yeah, how yeah. – whereas – yeah, they're there to celebrate. That's interesting because I, I must admit that I kind of thought about it while it was happening but then, of course, had no reason to ruminate upon that until you literally just said that and I was like, oh, that gives me flashbacks to the exact <laughs> same thing that was happening. So I reckon you might be right. No, it's, it's, it's what I found watching some of our comedy oh. shows in Melbourne as well and I'm like, they, you'll watch it in, I know, like Edinburgh or even Sydney as well. Sydney's like the like the a gay dream, right? Mm. And <laughs> but, but so, but it's I think Sydney's been so associated with being quite like because I can only talk from the kind of only talk from the gay person. I was going to say the gay corner. <laughs> it's going to be three people on stage soon. Um, but, <laughs> but the. Uh, um, by the what do you call it? Uh, but there's no kind of difference of what you're talking about in Sydney. There's no atmosphere difference. Um, no. But it's almost like uh, yeah, it's like an edge of your seat thing of like I got to. Um, and I know to be fair, some people probably like it. I, I find it very, I find it very annoying because <laughs> I'm just like I, 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 I'd rather them just laugh at the funniest bits or the new bit. Fuck the funniest bit. The new bit I've come up with my insecurity level um, but then then some message I have and that's that's not shitting on anybody else's thing at all it's just like uh, I think most comics have a certain bit that they like more than anything else and most most comics I know 80% of what they do on stage they'll be like meh and it's all to just get to the 20% that we actually really like telling. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like usually you can't like all your own stuff. It's interesting. Like I, I know what you mean. I hope that like... That, that's like, I said very much like Larry, I, I absolutely love everything that I've ever no, done. No, <laughs> like I mean some, some days I would like I hate it all. And like and I did a real post-COVID like I do this every now and again but I did a real one which was like like I, I'm not doing anything like no matter what the occasion is, no corporate gig, no blah, 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 where I have to do material that is 
from beyond this last two years. Like, you know, everything's clean slate now, no old stuff. Like, you know, and I do that every now and again to sort of clear it all out. And that is me basically saying the reason that I do that is because I don't, I can't stand any of that stuff anymore or it reminds me of an old me or whatever. So, no, I get totally get the idea of – but I – I think maybe the statistic that maybe only 20% of it you like and 80% of it is there to get to that 20%, I feel like those numbers are out. I reckon it's fine to have 20% that you don't like if there's 80% that you do like. I reckon that's but, that should be more like the But do you think that 20%, do you think that do you think that 20% of stuff you don't like? Mm. Um I saw I'll rephrase that. Yeah, do you no, think the I, stuff, uh, yeah. But you do, do you think the stuff that you do like you'll still like in ten years' time? Cause the amount of stuff that comics do and I, like, if I look if I look back on bits I've done in previous shows, I can always find like twenty, thirty percent that I still like. I liked it kind of all at the time, but then then looking back at it I go, Oh actually no. And I think probably as you go the further you do stand up or, or create anything the more you begin to obviously find your own voice, but also the more you begin to f- find, you get to channel of what you actually enjoy doing from that. Like the amount of people that kind of start off as actor, writer, comedian, and then it begins to be like, well, you've not, you know, you've not done stand up or acting in about 10 years, but you love writing. So you must be more of a writer then, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, cause like, do you have a certain bit from all your shows that, and it doesn't have to be like the most famous bit or the the biggest laugh or whatever. But do you have like a couple of routines that you go, "That's so me." Whenever you listen to it back, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. And but here's what I would say: if I went back three years or five years as me now, like, would I recognize that they were bits that at the time were very me? You know, 100% representative of who I was. But, like, I'm a different person now than I was five years ago as well. So it would be weird if the person now went back and went, oh, yeah, that's still me. That would be sad, right? Like, that I hadn't moved on or become someone different or developed my ideas on things. In fact, some of my absolute favourite bits are when I've sincerely believed something at some stage of my career and then later in my career sincerely believed the opposite thing and been able to kind of, you know, like do a like an updated routine of my thoughts or opinions around something. Oh, okay. I've, I've not had, I've never given I mean, I'm old, man. <laughs> you've got to remember. No, you've got like, I mean, because this is what I was actually going to say before it became about me. It's, it's about you, this podcast. Oh, and come on. So, What's the fun in that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's also a lot about me, mate. Let's be honest. I've been in this heaps already. But um, no, what I was going to say to you was, we were talking about now, I fucking lost my point. You've Sorry. done that to me. No, it's okay. I'll get it back. Well, it'll be fine. Um, uh, I you do infuse your jokes with a lot of information about you and your worldview and your view of other people and in the way those jokes are constructed. Like it's not like somebody could come and see you do stand up and walk away with no sense of who you are or what you think about the world. It feels to me very much infused in your material like it might not mean that they know everything about you but you learn a lot about you and how you look at the world through your jokes and the way you structure your jokes um maybe actually i suppose i do give like enough personal stuff but i don't i think when it comes to i used to do like 
because I suppose I'm looking at a kind of uh, uh, um, very surface level of when someone talks about politics on stage or something like Tom, Tom Ballard, right? So whenever I watch Tom Ballard, I know exactly what his opinions are on things because it's very clear. Kind of, I know he's talking about things, opinions on things that everybody knows about because with politics or whatever. But then. Uh, I was thinking of mine I, since I don't really I talked about politics before but I hardly talk about it now like I'll do like a potentially like a throwaway joke and I don't really so then I'll be like oh I'm not really giving any opinions mainly because I'm terrified of giving an opinion I've noticed this thing whenever I've given an opinion the problem is people argue back and you're supposed to know what you're talking about to be involved and I'm like <laughs> I am not good at restoring keeping yeah, information right. no follow ups yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly I think I should just end every show with no further uh, questions <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. I, I should actually call my new special that instead yeah. uh, yeah. that's a, that'd be the great forest come quote <laughs> that's all I have to say about that yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I don't intentionally think of things. I'm, I'm trying to think of like who can. I suppose stand ups that only do one liners, they don't have to give any opinion on things. Yeah, right. But I mean, it depends what you define opinion by, right? Because, like, I, I mean, the joke that I. Like, just the joke that I am thinking about at the moment, like, you know, is one where you were talking about um, having. Uh, lunch, uh, catch, having a coffee with murderers, having a cup of tea with some murderers. Do you know yeah, that joke? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you know that joke that you do? Uh, <laughs> you did. <laughs> right. How like, does it go? It, well, it, 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 <laughs> in that, yeah, I'll do the voice. That's, that's racist if I did the voice. <laughs> so I um, oh, don't get all Melbourne on me, man. <laughs> in, in telling that story and the way the story unfolds. You are constantly learning stuff about you. And I don't mean the facts of the thing because I don't care what the facts are. I'm learning stuff about how you frame it and how you talk about people and how you, like, you know, like there's more than just like a setup and a punchline. You get this this short story. And so that's all opinion. In my, in my opinion, that anytime you're telling someone your attitude to something about the world, it's opinion. We just... Think of something, and I love Tom Ballard, like I couldn't be a bigger fan, like love his shows. But, you know, he's on one level you're going, okay, he's talking about politics and, you know, about the world. But anything where you're doing observational comedy about your life and the world and your connection to your parents or to a friend or to whatever it might be, whatever your obsession is, something that you like, something that you hate, you are making a comment on the world in that moment. That is opinion in, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I suppose as well, because I, I feel that sometimes when I'm talking about things, oh, it's like I'm not trying to sway anybody because yeah. the, the, the amount of, I tried <laughs> it as a comic before in my, in my George Carlin era, um, but it's just so, I think it's so uncomfortable watching Yeah. Like um, watching me try and do that because it's just not, it's not what I'm like as a person anyway. I am one of those, uh, probably the, the annoying ones for a lot of people my age, but I'm so kind of like, I always think everybody messes up. Everyone's 
everyone's a prick at points, everyone's grumpy, everyone's done things that are bad. And when it came to that murder, the murderer stuff as well, I'm like, forgiveness is, it might be my Catholic upbringing, it's probably something that's good that's come from it, but I always think like forgiveness has been completely forgotten about. And whenever people mess up and stuff, I'm usually like, uh, and I try, the thing is it messes me up so bad, man. The amount of, the amount of times I just go, oh, you know, they'll be fine. It must, it must just be a misunderstanding. Um, like even watching the news of people I don't even know. Just like, there must be some misunderstanding. Maybe, maybe they had the wrong hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so... <laughs> But I think that's why I try, especially on social media, I try and stay out of any mm. any chat to do with other people that are like that trying to like. Because uh, I always think as well, it's just not a good look to try and bring other people down. Because every single time I've seen someone do that, of like try and like uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's the thing that uh, when you try and bring other people down online, uh, you I've always seen all those people that do that I've seen them come down as well because other people think well you did that to someone else so I can join in on your your one you know what I mean oh I I know exactly what you mean but that's why I think that that routine that it like as an example is actually like really compelling and great like social commentary because you are talking about the idea you're not presenting yourself as somebody who should be followed or like that you're starting like a cult or a revolution or that you have all the answers and good because you don't like that's what I'm like I always like to say to people I'm like I'm a like stand-up comedian, I don't have any answers. Like if you saw how like shittily I'd run my own life, you certainly wouldn't ask for advice on how you should be running yours. Like I've got a lot more invested in mine and I constantly fuck it up, you know? Like of course, like yours is the only truth. Like you talk about that George Carlin pantomime truth, right? Like I mean wanting to be that, like pretending to be that. But in saying what you're saying in that joke – about forgiveness but also the compromises of forgiveness right because that's what that joke is about at its heart which is i'm trying to do something look at the world as like everyone is flawed and give people second chances but also there is also a good compelling reason that people often don't give people second chances because it fucks you up or you get in trouble or you you know like something goes wrong and that's all inherent in that joke, in that routine, is this topic, which to me is much more real social commentary than somebody who's out spouting a bunch of like you know political slogans and trying to start a rally. That's what I would say. That's yeah, what yeah, I would no, observe. I suppose you're, I suppose you're right. I mean, I, I always just think the me trying to just be laid back and not hate. <laughs> I always think, I always think being. I suppose as well, it's almost like saying that yeah. Switzerland. Uh, yeah. The most neutral country in the world is have is taking an opinion because being neutral is also an opinion. Yeah. So I always just try to stay neutral. And I think oh, I'm out of the opinion thing. So I think uh, yeah, you're right. Actually, I, I am actually taking opinions, and I don't even realise I'm doing it. Oh shit! I need to find I, out a way of becoming a one-liner comic. I don't <laughs> think it's a bad thing. I think it's just a framing of how you think about opinions, right? You there's a negative connotation to it because you associate it with a certain type of 
person or responder or example in your head that is like the bad version of it, I think. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in this detail. This podcast, I like to ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind and it can relate to anything, life, love, laughter, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter and it's also a perfectly acceptable answer to say no, no, I don't. But like, uh-huh. but do you have one? A life philosophy? Yeah. I think... <laughs> the, when you brought up life philosophy, I think the only the only thing I ever think, and the thing is, it's it's just a phrase, uh. is short term shyster, long term loser, and it's such a it's such a like slowly slowly catchy monkey kind of thing. It's such a kind of like uh, if they fuck you over now, then chances are down down the line they'll get their comeuppance. Everyone makes their own. Like, um, what do you call it? Their own, own ceiling when it comes to certain things. Because I think doing stand-up as well, you get all these... You get messed over so many times and all these promoters or whatever will... Uh, especially when you first start, like, they totally take advantage of, like, you know, your work ethic or whatever. And all those promoters I've seen have all ended up getting their comeuppance. <laughs> yes. And, uh, it's all about forgiveness. Well, remember, it's all about forgiveness. Oh, and, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, this, this is good. This is a real journey we're going on here. It's been, I'm being flung all over the place. It's, it's, just, don't, don't, just don't let people get a beat on me. That's the Larry Dean story. Yeah, as soon man. as you like me, I don't like you. I'm just weaving out of the I, I forgive you, I hate you, I love you, I need you, I hate you. Please don't come near me. Can I get sent a copy of this from my therapist? I've noticed I have five different personalities. Just, just this week have a listen to this and see what you think. Will tried his best, but he's not qualified. <laughs> Will could spot the problems, but he can't offer any solutions. So... Uh, there is a great Gary do you know who Gary Goldman is he's an American comedian a very funny one speaking of kind of like you know one line not just one liners but um, you know just a very very funny comedian but during the pandemic he did this thing where online every day he did like a comedy tip you know and it was mostly pitched at beginners you know really but also I never learned how to do comedy. Like I just was one day was a comedian and then, like you said, had to just learn it from other people and what they thought and sometimes they didn't know what they were talking about but you didn't have anywhere else to compare it to. So you did that dumb thing for a while until you realised that wasn't the right thing to do. Like, And so I was like, oh, this is great. This is this comedian that I respect and every day he's going to tweet one of these like – tips and I was like even that there was 365 things you could know about comedy seemed like a lot I was like what are all these things <laughs> I don't know many I know about like eight and I've done fine like <laughs> it was great but one of the things that he um said that like kind of provoked me which was like he goes he asked are you the comedian that you would like to see. And that is a tough one because I don't know if I would like my stuff. Like I like my stuff for me as a performer. Like I think it feels legitimate and I think I'm really honest on stage. And But 
I don't think that I would be to my taste. Is that a weird thing to say? Like if I was just going to the comedy festival and I was buying a ticket, I'd be like, I'd be looking for something, I don't know. I think that's... Uh, that's, do, you that's what, do you know what? Watch your stuff back sometimes and laugh. I don't like to watch myself back. I'm not like a big consumer of my own work unless it's really necessary. Um... But uh, no, I I think you would, and not like, and not. I think if you watch your stuff back, if you had to, so you, mm-hmm. if you want to, like, uh, I think everybody now has to watch their stuff back when they have to do like social media stuff, and that forces comics who tend to be a bit like uh, like grossed <laughs> out by the whole thing. Yeah, it makes you have to watch it back, and then you end up like because. I thought I was in the same boat until I started doing that. And then I started watching back being like, I'm, I'm pretty funny, actually. <laughs> like, and I, I find it funny. And even there's bits that the audience don't find funny and I think yeah. it's funny. So I don't know. You don't even need to be for who you'd want to see. Like, you, like I, I think you've done comedy too long to enjoy comedy. No, <laughs> no that's not true. I like, I like comedy a lot. I, in fact, I love comedy. In fact, I was... You know, I mean, I really loved like listening to your album. Like, I was like, listen to it. Like, uh, I'm like, that's see, like, I hate that. I, I hate that. That album, I hate it. Oh, I, I, I absolutely hate it because like that's a, that's old me. That's that's old me. Yeah, he's in right. That's in the, that's in the past. Well, I'm yes. moving on. I've taken so a lot. This, of, I've taken a lot did, from this podcast. But do you know what, so much? <laughs> do you know what you just did though? Was prove my point. You yeah. literally just have said what I was saying. <laughs> But, but, you tried but to argue me out of it and then I brought up a thing and you literally said what I was what just happened who are I you I don't know what my opinions are it's, a, it's like it's a journey it's like a real it's a real roller coaster. it's up it's down it's all over the place cannot get a beat on you just move Hold too on. quick you can't. Let, let, let me what's it called let me get my hand over the finish line at least okay there's 20% of that special that I like thank you 20% it's the 20% rule I'm sticking to it there's 20% the credits that's probably the best but for me. Um, but yeah what were we talking about before you proved me wrong uh, oh, I don't know uh, here's what I'm going to ask you uh, you you talked about being raised Catholic. Um, what do you think happens when we die? Do you think about that? <laughs> Is that I know, right? Good change of pace. Oh my god! <laughs> I ask everyone. I didn't just ask oh, okay, you. Cool. This is like a standard. <laughs> this show essentially is an excuse for me to ask people what they think the meaning of life is, and so I ease into it by asking about their life philosophy, and then we go to what do you think happens after you die, and then after that, I'm actually going to ask you what you think the meaning of life is. So you can just warm yourself up for that. Okay, you don't need be. to answer it definitively. Like it's fine, all answers that are appropriate, but I'm I'm going to ask you regardless. But let's start with the easy one. What do you think happens when we die? Um, well, being Mister Neutral, um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I'd love to hear. <laughs> Jury's out. I don't know. <laughs> I think everyone's just making a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh no, I can't copy what you just said. Um, like I, I'm, I'm genuinely agnostic on the whole thing. Yeah. What's so funny about that question, by the way, is that's mm. such a 
on the way back from a gig, we've run out of conversation question. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had loads of conversations with comics at three or four in the morning, driving back to London, yeah. and then the God and Meaning of Life stuff mm-hmm. will come in. And, um, and most comics are atheist. Most of my friends are atheist. My family... A lot of them, they, they definitely act like atheists, um, <laughs> but they, they're supposed to be Catholic. But then I, I don't know. It's uh, I think so. Religion, all of them are, are so um, so. You should pick and choose, right? Because obviously there's certain there's certain rules you get learned in religion that you kind of go, you know what? Actually, that's useful. That's an easy way of, and I don't think it should be forced upon kids or whatever like that. But I think some of the things is like an easy way for a kid to get their head around. If I do this bad thing, something bad will happen because it's, you can tell a kid off for what do you call it, throwing their cup against a wall and <laughs> splashing oranges, but you can't really sit your three-year-old down and say, by the way, yeah. murdering someone is really bad. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it raises some other questions. There's some follow-ups. You can't, you can't say no follow-ups after that. Yeah, maybe. I'll try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I do th- I'm agnostic and I do hope yeah. that there's some kind of heaven thing, but I think the more likely case would probably be either reincarnation uh, more likely mm. I don't know where I got the statistic of that's probably more likely actually yeah, more well. likely yeah. um, but, or something that we kind of go into yeah. energy I believe in ghosts so the amount of times yeah. I've kind of Good. flipped my decision on this this is where it's so hard is yeah. I thought oh there's no heaven there's no that and then I thought but hold on I do I have seen ghosts and I believe in ghosts so where does that fit into the whole thing and I do I can't remember who said it of the thing of it's so complicated for sorry, I was, I can't remember who said it, but someone said something like about how it's so it'd be so complicated for a human to understand that as soon as we'd understand that, then the whole the whole world would just cave in on itself because it'd be too because whatever it is is too complicated for us to ever understand. You know what I loved about that answer is that you literally made it more complicated by including ghosts. You just brought in <laughs> ghosts. It was as if it wasn't a big enough question anyway. You just, on the way, just said, because I've definitely seen a ghost, which was like <laughs> such a, like maybe it's done the job of distracting me because it certainly has. You've definitely seen a ghost? Yeah, honourable said. Okay, scenario, like, run me through this uh, ghost thing. So, I actually do have a ghost in this flat, and there's a very weird thing that happened last night that's happened Mm. a couple of times recently, but I'll tell you the most most clear-cut ghost Mm. story I have. When I was 15, I was asleep in my bed, and you know when the covers come down? Um, like like it jammed usually at the bottom of the bed or something that mm. was happening and I was trying to pull the cover up I woke up in the, weirdly I woke up with the covers coming down usually wake up in the middle of the night and realise the covers have gone down um, but I was pulling the cover up and no matter how much I pulled the covers would not come up and I sat up to see what it had got jammed in and there was just a small boy at the bottom of my bed like holding on to the to the covers and so I went back like kind of frozen with fear and kind of wanted to keep my eyes closed for as long as possible but then I did peek and he was gone and when the and the covers came up that's why I opened my eyes because the covers came up I kept pulling and the covers came up eventually and then I opened my eyes and I saw he was gone so 
that that's the most clear ghost story I have. But then uh, I have had weird things happen last night and the night before. Um, here, there's a picture of me with my friend who died a couple of years ago, and every single day, every night, it's turned around the wrong the other way, like facing the wall. It's fucking weird, and I'm like, I do not know why that's happening. I mean, here's the thing. I, I like I don't really believe in ghosts, but when you tell me those stories, it does sound quite compelling. <laughs> this is how this is why I always think that people shouldn't trust me on anything either, because I am so easily convinced. Like I yeah. I have a rule where I only have people on this podcast that I already like because it feels safe because I can't be trusted with someone who's got radical ideas or whatever. Cause <laughs> like I'd just be like, yeah, that sounds great. Like you seem real nice. Like I love your enthusiasm for whatever it is. I've just signed up to like, yeah, I guess ghosts maybe are real, like go against everything I believe in, in any sense. And you're like, but you do make a compelling case. Why is this photo turning around? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I really, uh, I, 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 I completely understand that, and I understand I, what I appreciate. And I never mind if someone doesn't believe in ghosts. What I appreciate is when people yeah. get angry at you for, and I'm like, why are you getting angry at me? I did genuinely see. It. I've got no right. reason to lie, and so that's genuinely what I experienced. Same with the picture thing. I've had other things happen as well. I begin to think what's so weird is I moved. I didn't move, but I was on holiday somewhere with my partner and he's experienced this thing in my flat of whenever, um, whenever my, there's a ghost that's in my flat, right? I'm going to just be fully weird with you well uh, and, and pretend there's no microphone in front of me. So there's a ghost that lives in my flat and it has a way of telling someone if it likes them, right? Basically, anyone that my, the ghost that lives in this flat doesn't like someone, it yanks their hair but whenever it does like them, it strokes their hair. And people have genuinely come in my flat and I've not told them anything to do with a ghost. And they've said, it was really weird. I had a, like, I was on the couch and I just felt like my hair was being stroked. It was really odd. And other people have said the thing about my hair being pulled. And every one of people that the hair has been pulled has ended up being a wrong one. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, 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 so... So we should turn we should turn my flat into some kind of courtroom. That's why I should. Like like um, at least an inter it doesn't even have to be a courtroom, but like just the special police interrogation room, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. where they have to take him if they or like a terrorist thing. Like in a terrorist situation where they really need to get information quickly, like Jack Bauer style, he could come round to your flat and like, you know, instead of well, having to waterboard somebody, you just like let the ghost sort it out. Well, apparently the ghost gets the, I went to a white witch lady thing and she was like, the ghost gets jealous and protective over you, right? And I saw mm. like, but it doesn't know me personally. But then uh, <clears throat> we had a weird thing. Well, my ex and me were having an argument in another room and then the tap in the kitchen started going on and it wasn't like drip, drip, drip. It was full pelt, like randomly. In the middle of the night, the tap went on. And I was like, that's, thank you, ghost. Mm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> now, keep pulling his hair. <laughs> Oh, 
so I guess that that does indicate, right, because what would ghosts be other than departed people, I imagine? Or do you imagine that ghosts could be something different to that? Like could they be like it be a, a you know, like, you know, something from a simulation or like, you know, I'm not going to get you to have a firm opinion on any of this, I realise, <laughs> as I went into this. I'm you're like, this. I don't know. I'm not going to lock ghosts into being one thing. I yeah. already know it's the trick. Well, is happy as long as you're just enthusiastic. <laughs> So don't worry, Well, I will answer this by being enthusiastically dancing around the question rather than an actual opinion. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, so I think what, what it is, though, what I was genuinely scared of, right, this is more scary than the ghost thing, right, and that is to answer this question of what it could be. If it's not someone that's died, it's terrifying the thought, have you seen Interstellar? Mm-hmm. And you know how he's his own ghost? Yeah. I probably should have done a thing of if you're listening to this. I'm sorry for ruining. I mean, seriously, I feel like Interstellar has been out long enough that if you wanted to see it, like literally one of those, no, I'm saving it for my phone 10 years after it came out. I was so impressed by Oppenheimer. I'm going to watch Interstellar on my phone. Like, <laughs> I really enjoy that 15 minutes of the start, which is basically just him driving through a desert. Looks great on a big screen, but no, on my phone, that's going to be really... Anyway, yes. Yeah, he yeah. travels through time. He tries to communicate with himself through a bookshelf. Like it's... Yeah, and yeah. The, they originally think it's a ghost mm. and then he realises that he's his own ghost because it's him from the future trying to, mm. trying to communicate with something from the past and he has to watch back all the painful stuff. And I was like, shit, that'll be a nightmare. Because I actually, I thought the more scary thing than it being a ghost that somebody who I've never met before or some dead person coming around my flat, I'm thinking, oh no, what was if it's me? Like if mm. I'm watching myself back and I, I'm just at the other, I'm in another dimension, a bookcase, wondering if I'm thinking I look fat. <laughs> like, <laughs> so my God, I actually look like that. Um, but the eyes. So hang on, uh, does the ghost have body dysmorphia, or your yeah, yeah. you, or about you? Like, what is <laughs> a non-corporal being has body dis lack of body, body dysmorphia? dysmorphia? I don't know how. I, I don't know. How I look for. I, I, that's a picture of me. Uh, the <laughs> um, the yeah, but I think. I think the idea of watching myself back in a non-stand-up case, linking this, thank you, uh, <laughs> is uh, that, that I'd find that really horrible because I'd, I'd probably just because obviously you'd have to watch arguments back or you'd have to watch even watching yourself being back being lazy. I don't know mm. if you got brought up the same way as me, but being lazy is a bad thing. You weren't allowed to be lazy, mm. so even watching me watching TV, I'd be like, <gasps> like <laughs> you're not doing anything productive. Um, so yeah, that's that's the more scary thing. I yeah. just never pull my hair. If I pull my hair, then I'd be like weird. I'm interested in the, um, the 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 being lazy of it all. So, have you found ways to be lazy? Like, is that can you? One of the things that I've struggled with my entire life because I grew up on a, a dairy farm, right? Like, so working, you know, like real, like the kids went to work, like it's it's that was part of it work ethic is part of being a farmer you know you can't really be a lazy farmer right because like cows need to be milked you can't put it off until the next day it's it's that ethic and so as a comedian one of the things i've always struggled with a bit is i will 
do lazy things, but I can't fully enjoy. I can't lean into the laziness of it. Like I can't, you know, put that aside. So I like, so I'll do the thing, but there's still a bit of me that's like, I should not be doing this thing, and it takes some of the joy away from the situation. And now I've got to think about the fact that me from the future is watching as well and judging me and trying to send me <laughs> messages. <laughs> like this is a lot now. I think I I, I, I don't know if I mean I'm I'm thinking I'm the same as you because mm. even in the thing of if I'm on holiday to relax after, say, Melbourne Comedy Festival, and I'm thinking, right, I'm going to have a holiday, I go, okay, the reason why I need a holiday is because my body and my brain need to re-energise so that I'll be better next time around. I don't just go off. I am so jealous of people that can, and usually it doesn't even end up happening. I'll be on holiday and I'll be thinking, oh, great, now I've got loads of free time to catch up on my emails and to start my new projects out mm. and like, maybe write a bit of material. <laughs> this is what normal people do with their day? Wow. I'll write a joke about this. So it ends up being uh, chaos. I think it, yeah. usually the only way in which I can switch myself off completely is sleeping. And it's mm. I can sleep anywhere um, and... Uh, usually that's the only time I don't think about anything to do with comedy. I never dream about comedy. I always just dream about what I probably should be doing. <laughs> so you don't have like comedy nightmares. You don't have those, you know, ones where you're like, you're doing some show and you don't have your material or something's gone wrong or the, you don't have any of those sort of dreams. No, I get stre- I get stress dreams, but they're not to do with comedy. There's probably some subconscious thing of like before the Edinburgh festival in July, I'm like the most stressed because it's the new showtime. And that's when I will get nightmares much more regular. And it's probably subconsciously I'm really stressed but I won't dream directly about comedy. I don't dream I'm on stage. I don't dream about anything actually to do with comedy at all. Like not even backstage stuff or I've, no comedian has appeared in my, my oh, dreams. Not one. No, 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 I can think of. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, it's so weird. It's like literally my brain just goes, you're not yeah, a comedian now. You're done with that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so like, I'll, I'll have to let you, I tell you what though if I ever I'll have to let yeah. you know Will if you ever appear in my dream I'll be yeah. like you've, your podcast has ruined my safe space away from comedy <laughs> just one night you turn on the light and I've been there in the corner the, in the dark the whole time <laughs> yeah pulling the bed sheets off eh? <laughs> oh it turns out Will was my ghost <laughs> yeah just you turned on the light it was there dressed in black um, okay so I used to um, next to my desk, have a little. It was as close to an inspirational saying that I would have for you know work, you know, a motivational thing. It said, uh, "What would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail?" And the way that I used to think about that was, it was just to remind me to put aside that, like this idea of that I could make something that was meant to work, rather than going, "No, assume that it's going to work." Now, what if it was going to work, what would you want it to be? You know, that's just a better way for my brain to be able to think about things. So it doesn't have to be about work and it can be about anything. But if you were guaranteed success, what would you attempt to do? Uh, I'd probably go, I'd probably put much more effort into trying to do acting stuff. Uh-huh. I think 
I always, I always kind of think of like you know when people go who who inspired you and stuff. Um, but it tends to be I think of how happy Jim Carrey and Robin Williams in movies when I was growing up made me, and how much they made me laugh. And I thought I'd definitely try and do some stuff like they did. And because I know getting there is the most hard thing to do, because obviously going through Hollywood or like getting acting jobs is humiliating because you're failing as you're you fail a lot as yourself, but you're failing as yourself pretending to be someone else. Yeah. So I think that'd be, that'd be the thing. It's like a double whammy of self esteem issue. Um, so that that would probably be the thing I would go if I was guaranteed it. Yeah. I would do, I would go for that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I understand that. And as far as I can tell, things worked out fine for Robin Williams and Jim Carrey is just like a normal, well-adjusted dude. So... Look, I think... Well, I think one of my personalities would fit in well. Okay. Uh, we've already talked about Not bad fun. advice that you got in the car, um, about, you know, having to gig all the time, or maybe it was good advice, you know, a bit of both. But... Um, I like to ask people about the worst or best pieces of advice they've ever had in their life. Is there like, you know, a really bad one or a really good one that you remember? Uh, I can think of for life, the crabs in the bucket one was definitely, um, but for seeing, being in the car with other comics, the number one advice, the best comedian for advice in my opinion was, uh, and it is still, because I still go to for advice, is Matt Price. Um, mm-hmm. And um, obviously there's been loads, like my mate Paul was amazing at giving me advice and stuff as well because he's like a stand-up director. But in particular for other comedians, uh, it would be Matt Price. He taught, taught me so much about storytelling and even just the thing of, when you mentioned before about structure and callbacks, Matt is so he was very good at pointing out the certain ways in which you can do structural things and callbacks without the audience even realizing but giving them the satisfaction because he said if you you know like when you try and bring a joke from before and you can't quite get the audience to jump on board and make that connection he said literally move to a different part of the stage do go be on the say the left hand side of the stage when you tell the initial joke and make sure you're on that side of the stage when you tell the joke again and it made me go and I did it and it works because it literally is such a weird thing of sometimes your brain just needs a majority of links to go ah I get it and that is just an extra thing to go six out of, over to like six out of um, ten to go oh now I get it um, so yeah I'd say from him uh, it's probably the best advice. Not that particular one. There's been plenty. I mean, as that well. one is good by itself. I've got to be honest with you. Like that little, I mean, the little trigger, right? Like to an audience's recollection, because all an audience's brain is trying to do is work out the puzzles. Like if every joke is a puzzle or a problem that needs to be solved, like you know, then. That's all their brain is trying to do. Do I understand this? Do I recognize this? Does it provoke like this reaction in me? And if yeah. there's anything you can do to, yeah, help the brain on that journey. I actually think that's a great piece of advice. And oh, not some, I'll, yeah. give, I'll give one more shout out though on this. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, I feel I should because he's just released a book and he is amazing at giving advice. My mate Adam Bloom mm. um, 
Uh, yeah, you already definitely know who he is. Oh, yeah. so funny! Every comedian knows who he is, and every uh, comedian's always got a story about him. But he's just put his his books just come out. Uh, that's teaching people how to do stand up, which a bit of me hates him for because I'm like, no, Adam, <laughs> you can't tell other people how to do it. This is like it's supposed to be our little club. Um, but he's just released his book, and has I've already read about three chapters in it, and to get me to read a book is fucking hard. And there's already stuff in it. I'm like, that's such a... Because, you know, like you said about learning all these different ways of being a comedian, and there's only like six that you said you know. Yeah. All the ones that you know and you don't even know you know are in that book. And he somehow manages to someone you go, oh, I do do that. I didn't realise I did that. Um. So, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely plugging him. There you go, Adam. Yes. Oh, yeah, well, I love Adam <laughs> Bloom too. Like, yeah, I've, I've spent some time with Adam over the years. Not for many, many years, but like way back, way back in the day. So, um, yeah. Quite, that's a, quite, an, quite an intense man, but very funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lovely way to put it. And you are... <laughs> 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 the, the most, the most, like the most was it called bang on thing he said was when he when he said on stage about how like that uh, feeling when you're at the airport and you think do I have my phone do I have my keys do I have my passport he says that is just me mm. all the time all and the I'm just time. like that is exactly what <laughs> yeah. it's like because every single time he talks to yeah. you is it's so intense that you feel that like he's lost yeah. something <laughs> yeah I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said anything more relatable than that on the entire podcast. Um, what about you giving advice to other people? Do people now come to you? You've been around doing this for long enough. Do you have people approach you now for advice? And do you feel like qualified to offer people advice? Because, you know, what we've learned about you so far is it's hard to get you to take a firm opinion on most things. So how are you on passing on advice? I am fucking awful, man. Yeah. I I manage to give advice sometimes without even realising I give advice. And then someone will say, oh, I took your advice. And I'm like, what? And (laughs) don't do that. And then they'll tell me what it is. And then... But yeah, not not particularly. I, I did the um obviously you get the thing backstage of like new comics sometimes will ask me about things and uh, I just lied to them and just say it was all great. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the best. Because we literally started this podcast with you talking about how great it was to get full and frank yeah, feedback from a comedian. <laughs> But when the opportunity presented itself to you, a more experienced comedian, you were like, no, nah, no, nah, all good. No no cracks to paint over here. This is all... You've nailed it. You're actually... I wouldn't change a thing. Perfect. I don't know. I personally don't know why the audience didn't like it because I believe it is perfect. They're wrong. You're right. That's all I've got to say. And this whole... And the whole hour... Whatever it is, it's going to be like, what did you learn? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that all perspectives are valid. <laughs> uh, all right, only a couple more questions and we're done. What can we plug for people though? Like, you know, what do you, what do you want people to find of yours or to look out for? What have you got coming up? When are you coming back to Australia? Like anything that... 
you know. Um, oh, Adam Bloom's book. Um, mm, yeah. and, uh, Second plug, though. We'll have to cut one of those out. Only one plug of someone who's not on the podcast stuff. Oh, so, man. Um, what do you call it? Yeah, we'll, we'll keep the first one, maybe. Oh, whatever. Um, I but, am uh, not cutting it out. That was a joke, the, sir. The, oh, I was, was it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So I didn't know. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Very, you were so... I said, I was wow, like, this is how you got his way to the top, man. Fucking, yeah. well, well wow. proper heart. Yeah, I've got a rule. Like, Everything yeah. else stays in. But only, no, I was just, thought that would be a funny, maybe a little oh, funny riff. I, I, I actually did I was like, like, yeah. oh, right, oh, okay. And yeah, and I know. <laughs> I got that from when you started to decide which one to leave in. You literally were like, oh, well, maybe leave the first one. I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, I guess. Like, not your decision to make, to be honest. But, like... <laughs> Happy to give notes on that. Won't give a young comedian a leg up, but happy to tell me which one I can leave in when my bit falls flat. So, oh, this uh, was so funny as well. That just shows him, like, how I thought you were being like, oh, what's it called? Yeah. Billy Big Bollops. And yeah. then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, I started editing for you. It's like, yeah. how entitled was yeah. I there? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my agent will call you, but that's well. Yeah, yeah. But um, my preference is take one. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all I was trying to do was get a bit going, and it turns out we eventually did. So that's okay. We're good. Um, I've only got a couple more questions, but I wanted to ask you to plug things that weren't Adam Bloom's book. Like, where can people find your work? Like, you know, like... Um, I think just uh, I'm Larry Dean comedy on all the social media things, and uh, so if they follow me on that, or I'll be back in Australia probably next January. Um, I've not booked anything yet, but hopefully um, back next year. Um, <clears throat> my new special will be in November, December kind of time, and it will probably be called. Either it happens or that's all I have to say about that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I'm so bad at plugging. Well, I hate it, right? Yeah. I, I genuinely, for this, uh, for the last special, I had to <laughs> I had to do loads of like plugging of the show and stuff. And I was on a radio show and they said, why are you doing this? And I said, mm. because my PR told me I had to plug my special. Mm. And they went, that's literally what you're supposed to do, Larry, do it. But um, I always just say just follow me on social media because it means that I end up accidentally plugging things on social media. Um, I mean, that seems like a good idea. I think that's good. Let's not leave it in your hands to support your own career in a healthy way. That seems to be something that isn't your main strength. So, like, you know. More importantly, the well. Wouldn't want my stuff to get out to too many people because then they might like me and then I'd have to hate them. And. What I'd prefer to do is make stuff, not tell anyone about it, and then perform it to people I think don't like it. That's yeah. all I'm looking for. Like, well, why can't... With, what? with all the rest of your comics, like you bunch of narcissists. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how was how how the first take of that plug? I'll do a second take in yeah, a bit yeah. if you want. Just I'll send me a couple through, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just send me a few options. I'd appreciate that. Um, okay, a couple more questions and then we're done. Uh, so uh, first one is, if you could wake up tomorrow, you don't have to do the 10,000 hours to learn how to do this thing and you have any skill 
And you can interpret that however you want, like language, music, sport, like whatever. I don't like anything. You have any skill in the world. You just have it. What what skill would you love to just be able to do? Uh, oh, I'd love to be able to play the piano, man. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's something about listening what, to... Yeah. When you say the piano man, you mean Billy Joel? You'd like to be a... Is that what you're saying? Oh, right? my, yeah. I'd love to play yeah. him, man. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> but I'm just waiting for him. To, he'd, he'd message me and I wouldn't yeah. even text him back. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so you'd like to play the piano. Did you ever play the piano? Did, have you, did you have piano lessons when you were a kid or anything? Uh, I Yeah, I used to, like, mm. um, I had piano lessons. I was so bad at it and I had guitar lessons I was so bad at it I had singing lessons I was so bad at it uh, so all the all the musical stuff because I love music I get so uh, but then I'm just I, I've got an ear for it but then I, I don't have like because usually what would happen is because well, since you have to play with one hand and then another hand uh, doing both different things what would end up happening is as soon as I was getting the hand of the, yeah. I, my head around it I get so excited that it would all mess up. It's a bit like, so it just, it's like almost like I want it too much that my body just won't let me be able to to do it. Uh, All right. Uh, Final question. Thank you so much for doing the podcast, by the way. This has been such a fun chat. I, um, uh, if I had a time in the morning for a while. Yeah, thank you. And it's worth me staying up at late at night to talk to you too. It's been Thank nuts. You. Um, you, oh my God, I'd love it if you had a ghost uh, tonight now after this. Like I've passed the curse on to you. I mean, I will let you know. I will let you know if there's any ghost activity Thanks, or even mate. any mysterious noises. And you, just anytime you go into a dark room, just check if there's someone sitting in the corner. You promise me that. But okay. uh, <laughs> I'm going to have my Will, Will Anderson just, button on stage now, ready. <laughs> uh, if I had a time machine that could take you either forward or backward in time uh, and you could go to anywhere in the world, you could go to your own life if you wanted to, but you don't need to. You can just go to somewhere in history or somewhere in the future. There are no consequences uh, you don't have to worry about time continuums or disrupting timelines or any of those sort of things. And there are no responsibilities. You do ha- not have a responsibility to go back and solve climate change or kill Hitler unless killing Hitler is your particular passion project, in which case, absolutely, go ahead, have a crack, right? But but if, yeah, where would you go? Would you go forward in time or backward in time? I think as a gay man, it's never a good idea to go yeah, back into Too far back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there'd be a window. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, like four years ago, I guess. Like, <laughs> 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 Mardi Gras 2018, I reckon that's about where I'm aiming for. Yeah, I might, I might have that on my new show. Thanks, Will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing about me 
sick in. Is if I have a time uh, machine, I'm not able to go back any further than four years. Sorry, my <laughs> options are so limited. It's fucking. Oh, would you would you rather go forward in time or back in time? Yeah. Well, that's straight yeah, yeah. privilege there. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it is actually, I've realised as people have like answered this and wrestled with it over the years that I actually it kind of is a privileged question. Like a <laughs> hypothetical about time travel is kind of privileged because only a white, like straight enough man would think that you would just happily go to any time in history <laughs> and think it was going to be fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, but it's so difficult to say something is like a privilege when it's like... Yeah. It's so hypothetical. Mm. It's not like if we're ever in this mm. part of the world or whatever. It's so hypothetical. Mm. It literally doesn't exist. Um, like, well, so- Larry, if you're not willing to check your hypothetical privilege, then I, I, I'm sorry. But- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to assume we're going forward in time then. Would you go forward? Um- you know what's annoying is I actually would not want to go forward mm, and no. I, I would why would I go back to right so I'll bear in mind the thing because I originally I thought oh the 60s 70s would be really cool because I, I, my whole kitchen is based in the 60s um, which is why I've come to do the podcast in here because my boyfriend has to stay in the other room um, but, the, <laughs> um, but no, the, the whole kitchen is like laid out like 60s style Um but then, I don't know, I'll probably actually do a more personal thing. I'll go back to twin, 2008, 2000. Am I allowed to see family and stuff? Yeah, you can do yeah, whatever go, you want. I'll go back to 2008, 2009. Because then, then it means that that's kind of before I moved away from Glasgow and it means I'd get more family time. Because, I mean, that's one thing that from doing stand-up and stuff, you don't get to get as much of... And then you obviously, everyone gets the... Re- no one ever regrets spending too much time with loved ones and that. They fucking annoy you, but no one regrets it. So I think if I go back to then, that's when they were all still alive and stuff, and then I can be hang out with them. That's what I'd do. Back to 2008. Well, <laughs> that was sweet as shit. What a good way to um, finish this. I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thanks um, for having Thank you for doing the show. That was show, some man. laugh, man. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Listener.